This is a transition within Luke's gospel, starting right here is where we launch into anywhere from 8 to 10 chapters where Jesus is, is on the road. The metaphor always in this gospel is that uh, faith is a journey. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of, some, of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but the Samaritans did not receive him because his face was set. He was going toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, the gospel of the Lord. So there were these two sisters that I knew. I went to K through 8 elementary school with them and to high school with them. They were two years apart in age, and I was in a carpool with one of them for three years going to high school. So I knew them really well. And the... the uh, uh, the thing about them was they, they were in high school. They were both in palms when they were in high school. Uh, they were both intelligent. Uh, they were both attractive as a high school boy. You kind of notice those things. Um, uh, all sorts of things going for them. Um, the, the thing that I've, I've always remembered, though, is that the younger one was different. And um, this is a purely superficial thing, but you know it's important in our world. And it was important to her that she, she perceived uh, that she was not as attractive as her older sister. Now, the thing about her older sister, who's the one I was in the carpool with, was she had inherited from her parents, I don't even know how to say it, but a certain reserve that wasn't super appealing. Um, her younger sister hadn't inherited that. Her younger sister had this wonderfully engaging personality. She wanted to be her older sister, and that was the most important thing for her, and it ended up causing her to make a lot of really bad life choices. And then I lost track of them. And you always kind of hope that uh, however that story went, it turns out as a happy ending for them. Have you ever wanted to be somebody other than yourself? It's a common human affliction. Uh, maybe you only have it for five minutes. Maybe you have it for most of your lifetime. But we compare ourselves to each other on a lot of different levels. And, and maybe, the, maybe the, the worst thing about that is when you're busily comparing yourself to somebody else and perhaps feeling like you come up short, you do not even see the, the wonderful gift that is within you that if it could be developed more and more would be an awesome thing to share with the world around you. So what are, what are the great gifts we receive in life? Health is, is a great gift. Um, 
Having enough, whatever that is, is a great gift. Intellect is a gift. Uh, creativity is a gift. Uh, physical capabilities is a gift. Uh, attractiveness is, is a gift. Uh, all those things are, are gifts in their own way, shape, and time. I, of course, didn't list the one that, that I think even if you're not a religious person, you might still list as the most important one, which is some sort of internal compass. And as a person of faith, we would say it is the spirit within us that allows us to, over time, wisely choose values and then to consistently live them. And, and those values in the, in the Judeo-Christian tradition uh, constantly remind us of the needs of our neighbor and both the closeness of God and the amazing otherness of our God. To be gifted with that, and for lack of a better word for it, just to be gifted with the spirit like that is the most important thing. All those other gifts might literally make or save your life for certain periods of time. But to be centered and grounded and then to have that to allow you to live consistently and wisely towards yourself, towards others, and towards God, I mean, honestly, what could possibly even be close to being as important as that? This gets us to our scripture lessons, which teach us almost more in the negative than in the positive this week. But we'll get to something positive at the end. Um, the, the Elijah Elijah story is, is an interesting one. Um, uh, before, before we even get to the part that Chloe read, there's a, a Chloe, who used to be sitting over there, read, but isn't right now. Um, but anyhow. Chloe read that first lesson for us, and, and, and before that even starts, remember how it briefly mentions these 50 other prophets who are kind of traveling with them? They, like, are involved before that, and they kind of keep coming to Elijah and saying, you know, your teacher Elijah is, is going to depart from you today. And, and the inference is that they'll walk with him and support him, but he'll have nothing to do with that. He takes the journey alone, just with Elijah. And, you know, in that last scene, the, the 50 are kind of left behind. And, and so that probably is a mistake. Have you, how often in your life have you turned down help? Don't have to answer that. How often have you accepted help? There's something about us that, that tends to turn it down, right? Especially us independent Midwesterners. We can do it ourselves. Um, and, and so someone offers to help. Oh, no, I, I got it. Um, somebody offers to help. Take them up on it. Uh, it's, it's a gift. Uh, the 50 offer to help Elijah doesn't take them up on it. Uh, then they cross the river, and Elijah says, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you something, kind of a final, kind of a final bequest. Uh, and, and what does Elijah ask for? He wants a double measure of Elijah's spirit. He's like the younger sister. Let me be as attractive as you are. Is it a good thing to ask for a double measure of somebody else's spirit? Apparently it's granted to him because he does see him going to heaven. But if you read the rest of the narrative, especially 2 Kings chapters 2 through 13, you'll be disappointed in Elijah. He's never half the the prophet that Elijah is. 
And, and maybe it's simply because he, he asked for the wrong thing. Should have asked for a double measure of his own spirit given to him by God. Work on that. Be blessed with that. Not somebody else's. We don't do well when we compare ourselves to others in that respect. So I don't know if that's a super good example. For sure, <laughs> uh, when we get to the gospel lesson today, we got a couple of bad examples in there. So Jesus is, among other things, the, uh, the Prince of Peace. And he launches off on the journey to Jerusalem and sends messengers ahead of him, and they go to a Samaritan village to see if he'll be welcome to spend the night there. And he's not welcome to spend the night there. And when James and John hear about this, what do they want to do to the Samaritan village? They want to vaporize it, blow it off the face of the earth. Um, and they've been, they've been walking with Jesus. They've already heard the Sermon on the Mount. They've already understood that to return Evil for evil is a dead end, that you are called as one of Jesus' followers to return good in the face of evil. They've heard everything Jesus has to say, but they've internalized none of it in this particular situation. They want to go back to our good old human instincts, which is return evil for evil. Let's blow these people away. And what does Jesus say to that? Interestingly, Luke does not even tell us what Jesus says to that. It must have been pretty interesting. Luke just tells us that Jesus rebuked them. Oh, by the way, what chapter was this again? Chapter 9 in Luke's Gospel. When, in which chapter do you think Jesus... And it's the end, by the way, of chapter 9. In which chapter do you think Jesus is going to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan? This is not a hard one, people. Just go with it. Chapter 10 would be the correct answer. In other words, it's almost like Jesus is having kind of a bad day here, people, but it's not because he's having a bad day. It's because all the people around him are having a bad day. And so the disciples want to blow the Samaritans away, and Jesus just rebukes them. And then he has to take a deep breath. Keeps going for a while. And, and then in the very next chapter, the first chance he gets in a debating situation when asked, who is your neighbor, he redefines the question and says, it's not who is your neighbor, it's who acts like a neighbor, and of course it's the Good Samaritan. I don't think that's an accent that he does that. Uh, so having done, had that little interlude, then he encounters the next little situation, which is you know, your classic, how many excuses can you come up with to not actually uh, work on your life of faith? So he's walking along, and this one guy comes up and says, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. And Jesus' response is, uh, I don't even have any place to lay my head. And that's literally true, right? Because they've, they've just been told that the Samaritan village isn't going to give him a place to stay. So literally, he's got no place to lay his head. And, and almost the inference in the situation is the person chooses not to follow him. That's a little too intense for him. Then Jesus calls somebody to follow him. And he says, well, uh, i got to go bury my dad. Seems super plausible. Jesus kind of goes after him a little bit, though. Well, let the dead bury their dead. In other words, you, you being straight with me? Uh, and, and then what does he say to him at the end? He says, go and proclaim the good news. In other words, I don't know if you're giving me the business or not, but if you aren't giving me the business, go bury your dad, and, and then go do what I told you to do, proclaim good news. And then there's this last guy who, who just says, hey, I'll, I'll follow you, but like, I got a few other things I got to do first, because, of course, all of us as human beings are 
uh, eternal answer to God's calling is, we will follow you tomorrow, Jesus. Today seems hard, doesn't it? So, in a sense, all of those examples are kind of in the negative, doesn't really leave you much to hang on to. Uh, but actually what you're going to hang on to is the simplest of things, uh, starting with, you're here. I mean, you're here. Uh, you chose to be someplace that would feed you, take care of you, uh, lift you up a little bit. You chose not to be alone. You chose not to be Elijah. You, you decided to hang out literally kind of with the 50 prophets. I think that's about how many people are here tonight. Um, you might be by yourself in a pew, but you got all these other people still around you. Uh, that's a good instinct to have. The opening thought in your bulletin I thought was kind of an interesting little thing. I'll just read it to you. Healthcare projects around the world demonstrate a key motivator for healthy behavior is feeling integrated in a community where behavior is commonplace. Obviously written by an academic. But, uh, so that was from an article in the, in the Atlantic about two weeks ago. And uh, the, the cool thing about the article was it, it starts out by saying, you know, there are all these things currently debated about the American healthcare system. How we have the, we spend the most, but we don't get the best outcomes. And is that because of physicians? Is that because of hospital systems? Is that because of pharmaceutical companies? Is that because single-payer, multi-payer systems? And then the point of the article was, well, all that stuff may be part of it, uh, but maybe it's just that Americans are terrible patients. And uh, we want the drugs that we don't need and the drugs that we should take we don't want to take and blah, 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 blah. That we, we just don't do it. And in particular, we just don't do a lot of healthy stuff because we try and do it all by ourselves. Which is going to ultimately be a healthier lifestyle? Be by yourself as a couch potato eating chips or be a European who's walking with a friend around in the village. Uh, you know, obviously the culture that supports healthy behavior is probably going to be healthier. And healthy behavior is usually done in a group, not by yourself. Not rocket science. It's no different with faith. That's why I'm still going with the basic thing. It's good you're here. Um, and it's why, it's why I didn't want to skip the children's message. Um, because little kids learn lessons really fast. Bad lessons and good lessons. But a faith community teaches really good lessons. Give me the power to be a servant. Give me the power to love. Give me the power to be brave. Give me the power to notice somebody else. Give me the power to pray. So I'm glad you're here. And when you leave tonight, Slow down just enough to have a little human contact with a couple other people who are here tonight. That'll be a good thing. And then when you go out in the parking lot, um, you really need to pat yourself on the back. You really do. You chose community tonight. The gifts of the Spirit, they're hard to come by. They're even harder to live without.